Heavenly Father, we do see you with arms open wide. Father, I imagine in that moment, like those moments where eyes, Father, were in the deep water of the pool, telling my kids to jump. Trust Daddy. Trust Daddy. We've been in the shallow end together and I've caught you time after time and put you back up on the edge and to jump again. And that the good, good Father stands in the deep waters with us and just says, jump. And that they imagine the, the anxiety, the every all the emotions that are there on the child as they're there at the end going, I, I know that Dad's caught me time and time again. I know that he's caught me before. And, and now we're here in the deep, but I've never been to this place before. Can I truly trust my Father to catch me? And you jump anyway. Father, that even in the deep where our feet don't touch, you catch us. Well, we've got to trust you at the uttermost. You're trustworthy. Father, we can't see the bottom of the sea, the bottom of the depths of what you're calling us out to, that you're calling us out with open arms and saying, just jump, my child, jump. May we jump. Whether that's to work on Monday, whether that's to school, whether that's to Puerto Rico, wherever that may be, that you want us to jump into the deep end and trust that you are God and that you are a good, good Father and wouldn't us, make us jump into a place that you're not going to catch us. That's how good you are. You are the great I am. We worship you. That was just our words. With our lives. Father, may we, as we leave this place, understand that we have had a unique opportunity to sit and to kneel and to raise our hands and give worth to the creator of the universe. And he calls us child. And we can jump into his arms into the deep and he will catch us. That's the God we are encountering today and every day as followers of Jesus Christ. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 6. We're going to re- do some reading through John, the Gospel of John. If you don't have your Bibles, there's one there in front of you or one around you if you want to read out of there. If you're not, if you, if you have these newfangled phones, that have internet on, you can pop that out and do that. I know we meet with some guys there once in a while, and like one of them is old school and actually carries a Bible, and everybody else has these phone things that they look up stuff. So it's kind of funny you can tell somebody's age by how big the font is. If I know I can read it from across the room, I know they're a little bit older, so that's good. All right, so we got your Bibles, John, chapter 6, is where we're starting. How, how many of you like your name? Some of you, like, you've got a name, your parents, you didn't really have a choice, you know what I mean? I mean there's a lot of things in life, you get a choice, but you, you get a name for your parents, and you're like, hmm, sometimes, okay? Uh, I'm, my wife's not here, but 
we, we talk about this all the time. Her grandparents, her parents, their parents did not do them well. Okay? My, Becky's father, grandfather's name is um, Joyce. Joyce. Yeah, I said it right. My, Becky's grandfather's name was Joyce. And her grandmother's name was Marvin. <laughs> so we called Grandpa J.R. And we called Grandma Marvin L. You know, she had a middle initial L, so we kind of made that feminine. So sometimes you just get names and you're like, man, I wish I didn't have that name, you know. Or you, you have the understanding of, you get an understanding of what your full name is whenever your parents are talking to you. Okay, so my full name is Christopher Michael. Alright, and it's amazing what a mom can do with your name. I mean, you know if you're in trouble and what the depth of the trouble is, or how excited they are. I mean, you can see all these things, it's like, Christopher Michael, you know you better get in there, because there's some trouble happening, right? And you may or may not get to eat dinner. So you've got all these different things about it. You think about your name and how people call it, and ultimately... You know, as you get older, people define you. When they say your name, immediately who you are to them comes to their mind. When someone says, hey, that's, if you met Chris, or if you had met John, if you met so-and-so, and immediately if they've met you, that's an image of who they are and that first impression and everything about you comes up. You know, because when you hear Chris, you think, hey, six foot five, good looking, full, full head hair, right? So that's what you get. So you have this whole thing going on of what that image is in that. So what is in a name? What is in the name, the character of who that person is? So over the next few weeks, I want us to think about the great I am. And the character of who he is, that God gave himself that name. And the great I am is his self-defining name for himself that shows us and tells us that he is the absolute one true God worthy of worship. The absolute one true God worthy of worship. There are no other gods but me. All of that is wrapped up into this thing saying, I am. As a matter of fact, Moses has an encounter with the I am. He's kind of run away from his responsibilities and out doing some other things. And this eternal flame comes and it's consuming. It seems like it would consume the, you know, the, the wildlife there. It would consume the, the bush and it's not. It just continues to burn and, and nothing is happening. And so Moses takes notice of this and he's like, hey, I wonder what's going on over there. And he goes over and begins to check it out. And then God from this begins to talk, which would be kind of a unique experience, right? So this is happening. So Moses is having this conversation, and God calls him to go back to his people and to bring them out of slavery in this moment. So as they're having this conversation, Moses, as we do, begins to say, but God, I'm not good enough. But God, I'm not smart enough. But God, I can't get up in front of people and talk. But God, I don't have the training. But God, I don't, and I don't even know how to hold a handle, much less do these things. And so continually, God was saying, listen, but I am calling you. But I am calling you. But I am calling you. And finally he goes, Moses says, okay, listen, I hear you. You're telling me you're going to cover all of my faults. You're saying, stand on the end. You're in the deep. I'm going to jump in. So who do I tell the people, the nation that I'm going to? Who do I tell them that is sending me? And he says, the I am. The I am, the I am. And the people will understand that it's the one true, absolute God that they've known since their father Abraham has come to their rescue, to come to deliver them. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to pull back some layers and get an understanding, hopefully a better understanding of who the great I am is. 
So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6 with me and look at verse 16. We'll start there. Jesus has just uh, fed the 5,000. That's a pretty cool miracle. If you'd have been there, that would have been awesome, wouldn't it? And so his disciples would have been the ones in on the know on this. Most of the other people may not have recognized that this, the disciples had an understanding. Hey, there was just a few fish and a few loaves of bread and that little bit that should have was a boy's lunch, not even a man's lunch, but a boy's lunch, fed more than 5,000 people. We're talking about 5,000 men plus women and children. So it was, it was a buffet. I mean, it went crazy, okay? And so they just had this experience, and Jesus was tired, which you can imagine. He was cooking a lot, right? You would be tired if you fed 5,000. So Jesus fed 5,000. He goes away to the mountaintop, and his disciples go to the edge of the lake at Lake Capernaum. Now, Lake Capernaum is, you know, not a huge lake, but a good-sized lake, and it was known for... Um, Wind gusts. It was known for you know stuff happening um, at any moment, but usually at night. So as the you know as the, it got dark and kind of got to the end of the day, the winds would pick up, and so everybody, whenever they were on Lake Capernaum, they wanted to get across the lake during the day, not at night. And so they've had this full day. Jesus goes to the top of the mountaintop to spend some time, and the disciples are at the edge of the lake waiting on Jesus. So here's where we're at: John chapter six, verse sixteen. When evening came, the disciples went down to the lake, and they're hanging out, they're anticipating, okay, Jesus is gone, he's going to come down, he's going to be quick. I mean, like Jimmy John's. Alright, some of y'all don't know what Jimmy John's is, alright, we'll talk about that later. They're freaking fast. Alright, so when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat, and they set across for Lake Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet, not yet joined them. So imagine, here they are, they're waiting, they're kind of there. And I imagine they're thinking, hey, Jesus is coming, and so they're kind of watching and, and, and anticipating, hey, Jesus is going to be there. And they're there because, hey, listen, right, the gusts are going to come. Probably something's going to be happening. And so here they are. And then all of a sudden, Jesus had not yet joined in verse 18. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. Have you ever had weeks like that? We're saying, hey, it's going to be smooth sailing. You look at your calendar and you're like, I got lots of time. I got my, everything's perfectly in order. And then Monday at noon hits and everything is a strong wind blows and it's not the week you anticipate. Okay? So here we are. You're with them. You understand. Verse 19. When they rode three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat. And you can imagine, how many of y'all have rode three or three and a half miles before? None of them. Very few. Okay? That's hard work, right? The reason we don't do it is because we got motorboats. Okay? And so you can imagine, they were thinking, hey, we're going to be able to, you know, row across this. It's going to be smooth sailing. All this. But Jesus has taken his time getting here. So we've waited on him. So as a matter of fact, we're past time waiting on Jesus and we're going. He's given us instructions. We're going to go on. We're going to go forward. And now here come the winds and the waves. And we're probably a little frustrated that, hey, if Jesus had showed up and we told him to show up and when we thought he was going to show up, we wouldn't have to be wrong. And now that the winds are coming, they're actually against us and we're having to work double time because Jesus didn't show up on my time and my agenda. None of us have ever thought that. I know. But here are the disciples and so they're working hard in the midst of all of this. And then here's what happens. Jesus approaches the boat. Walking on water. And then the most obvious sentence ever, they were terrified. Because how many of you would anticipate someone walking on water to you? You're working hard, you're thinking, and you got all this, and you're like, I'm halfway there. And then somebody goes, what is that? 
And everybody stops, they look out, and here comes this person walking toward them. You see, here, here's the deal. John is riding looking back. They didn't actually know who it was. They just saw something coming toward them. And they're going, what is happening? Okay, they're already anxious. They're already mad. They're already like working hard. And all of a sudden, they see something, someone or something coming toward them. They've never seen this happen before. And then all of a sudden, there's this person coming. They stop, and they are terrified. They're mortified. As a matter of fact, it says they have a phobia. We know what phobias are, right? Okay? So they have a phobia. Here's the deal. But he said to them, okay, this is when they was clear to them that it was Jesus. But he said to them, it is I. Literally, the I am. And in that moment, these guys were good Jewish boys. They understood the I am. They knew that word. They knew that name. They would have known in that moment. And so when Jesus in that moment said, I am. Look what happened next. He said, do not be afraid. Listen, I know that your life right in this moment is chaos. I know that it seems like you can't see anything else because of the storm. You can't even see the edge of the edge of the sea, the lake. You're there and you're working as hard as you could. I know that you thought I was going to show up at this time, but I didn't. And you continued on with the thing that I told you to do. But in the very moment that you needed me, the I am showed up. And that is true for us that every moment... When the seas begin to crash, when everything around us begins to get into this moment, we're like, listen, we're at the very end of ourselves. They're thinking, we are never going to get to the end of the other side of the sea. And then what happens? Miraculously, the I am shows up, and they're not terrified anymore. But there's, what do they do? The very next thing is they invite the I am into their boat. The thing that they had been afraid of before, once he announced, I am, I, I am the I am, they said, oh, please, come into my boat. Come in to do life with me. Get us to this place. And they understood that. And then what happens next? Immediately, immediately, underline in your Bibles, immediately, where are they next? That's the shore. The place of safety and comfort. Why? Because they invited Jesus into the boat. Because the great I am comes to us. In those moments of the storms. Not on our time, not on our agenda, not in the way that we think. But he comes, listen, he also is showing that he is the creator. He is the Logos. He is the great I am. He was there in creation. And he has control and power over it. He doesn't even have to speak words. He's walking on the very waves that he's created. He's walking on the very water that he's created. And, and can you even imagine? I just have this weird, weird mind. If you haven't heard it. And I imagine that here is the great I am walking across the water, and it says the scripture that everything will, will clap and everything will sing, that it's the great I am walks across the water, that even the fish and whatever else is below is going, whoa, the great I am is here. And he stands there and he sits in the boat, and next thing you know, immediately they're at The great I am comforts us. In the midst of our storms. The second thing I want you to get, turn over to John chapter 8. Look at verse uh, 21. Listen fast because we're running out of time, okay? Alright, verse 21. One more, once more, Jesus said to them, he's talking to the, to the religious teachers. They've been asking him, basically religious teachers at this point are saying, hey, tell us who you really are. We, we, we know you're not John the Baptist. We think you might be Elijah, but, but tell us who you are. They're beginning to see that he has, he teaches with more authority. He does miracles. There's something different about this Jesus. And so, 
Verse 21. Once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. So he's, he's talking salvation to these people. He's redefining, helping them understand that he's the fullness He's the fullness of God in flesh and that he is here for salvation purposes. Verse 22. This made the Jews, the religious teachers, ask, Will he kill himself? Is that why he says, Where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, You are from below. This is pretty direct teaching. You are from below. I am from above. And they would understand that, Hey, you're from earth. I'm not. And it's very clear to them. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that... I am the one I claim to be. And again, in that moment, it was very clear to his people. He said, they know that purpose, they know that name. I'm claiming to be the I am. Because of your sins, because of who you are, you cannot go to the place that I'm going unless you believe that I am the one that was sent by the I am. Verse 25, continuing on, this idea of salvation. Who are you? They asked. There's just this indignation in their voices. Just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I mean, you've been, you've been saying this. This is nothing new. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable. And I have heard from him what I tell the world. And he, to me, God, we get a little notice here. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man. So imagine at that moment whenever the Jews and the religious teachers, everybody, they were lifting up the Son of Man. When they were lifting up Jesus on the cross, the very thing that they thought, hey, this is going to rid us of our problem. This zealot, this guy that's teaching and is raising up these crowds against us. When, we, when you raise him up at the crucifixion and you think this is going to be it, it's that very thing in that that actually exalts me and shows and proves that I am the I am. So Jesus said, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, and then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. I am not only brings comfort, but I, I am is our salvation. Our one way, the very thing that the men meant to be against him is what actually exalts him. And then look at... Um, John chapter 8, go down to verses 58 and 59. Actually, start at verse 56. Let's do that. Your father Abraham, their, their spiritual father, rejoiced at the thought of seeing me, seeing my day, at the time when Jesus the Messiah was coming. And he saw it, and he foresaw it, and he was glad. He knew that the Messiah was coming. Verse 57. So this is the Jews responding. You're not even 50 years old yet. You haven't seen Abraham, which is... True, I mean, that's an obvious statement. He's 15, he wouldn't have seen Abraham. But here he goes. He says, I tell you the truth, or verily, verily, I say to you, some of your versions, before Abraham was born, what? I am. I, am. <laughs> I was there when the Father spoke to Abraham and gave him his promise. And Abraham said, I will go where every woman be, saying, I am. Look what they did. <laughs> At this, they picked up stones. Stone. Because they understood that he was clearly saying, I am the I am. When creation happened, not only did I walk across the water, but I was there. Whenever the words were spoken, the Father and I spoke those words and made things into being. Abraham, when he came to say, hey, listen, the faith that was printed in him is righteousness. I was there. I am is here and he was there, and he's here now. Turn over to chapter 18. 
verse 4 and 6. We're getting some Bible drills today, okay? Verses 4 and 6. Now this right here, this is awesome. Here's, here's what I love. Even this week, it was meeting some guys, and one of the guys who's mostly smart said, Hey, I was reading the Bible, and I saw something I'd never seen before. And I was like, Yes. The living word of God continually talks to us. Keep reading. You're going to keep learning. Verse 4. Here's something that I saw the last few weeks studying up on this. Verse 4. Jesus, knowing that all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them. Okay, now here he is. He's at the end of his life. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows that Judas has done his job. It's the end of his time. The religious teachers, the Roman soldiers. It's now the hour of the end of Jesus' ministry, right? And so here they are. Jesus, knowing that this is going to happen, went out and asked them. This crowd of people come toward him. And he asked them this question, who is it that you want? And they respond, Jesus of Nazareth. Here's what he responded. I am he. Natural response, right? Look what happens. When Jesus said, I am he... My version says they drew back and fell to the ground. Actually, what it originally says is they were cast back, they were thrown back, they were moved back by the power of his words and his proclamation in that moment of him saying, I am he, they were pushed back by the whatever, the power, the motion of God, and they could do nothing else in that moment but to fall back away from him and to fall prostrate before him and to worship Even those that didn't proclaim his name didn't understand fully who he was in that moment because of the power of the I am and who he is. In that moment, it pushed them back and they fell before him, unrecognizing necessarily who he is, but because he is the I am, there is no other response than to worship. That's pretty cool stuff. I mean, when was the last time that you heard somebody say their name and you fell back? And you're like, wow. Right? There's moments that we get caught up in, ooh, that's so and so, right? And you get all giddy. These guys got all giddy and fell down in worship in that moment. What's interesting to me is that they still, he asked me, they got up and they still arrested him and took him off. But in that moment, they recognized that he was the I am. The great I am not only comes to comfort us in the middle of life storms, he's not only salvation, but he is worthy of worship. When you encounter the true I am, you have no other response than to worship him. That's why I love being able to not just worship in song, but throughout the week. And um, one of the things that go through seasons, but one of the things that God's been doing in my own personal time is um, he's been calling back songs. To me, there have been moments like I'm driving in the car, I'm thinking about something, I'm praying about something, and all this, and then all of a sudden, just this worship song. And sometimes, like, it's just part of the song. And um, I'm not a good singer, so it's, you know, that's why it's probably why it's good in the car, just me. And so I just start singing. There's been a couple of times, like, I'll start singing this song, and I'm like, man, what's the next word? Like, I need that next, I need that next truth. I need that next thing, a part of that song. And so I literally, I'll call Becky, and I'm like, hey, or text, hey, what, what, what is. This next thing, what is the next phrase? And she's the musician that she is, she's like this. And I'm like, oh, yes. And so that, so this is this thing of like, hey, the great I am is inexhaustible. 
See, the cool thing is that this is his name for himself that self-identifies himself as the great, absolute, one true God worthy of worship. But he's also the Lord God. He's also the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's also Rapha, the great healer. He's also Jehovah Jireh. I mean, you... He's the land, lion and the lamb. He's the alpha and the omega. And so I mean, we could spend hours upon hours calling out the names of God. And all these different names means that his, who he is is inexhaustible to us. That we could be here for hour upon hour proclaiming his name. And we proclaim that name and say, this is what this name means to us. And if all of us got into that, that worship service would never end. And see, here's the deal. That's what heaven is going to be like. Amen. Is that the I am is going to be all of these people saying, You are the great I am, you are the Jehovah Jireh, you're the Jehovah Rapha, and you begin all this different stuff. And so you think to yourself, And what is eternity going to be like? It's going to be like proclaiming who He is, and that there is no other response than to be in His presence and to fall down on our face and say, You are worthy of my all. Amen. Even if on earth I didn't fully recognize the fullness of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, you are the great I am. And you are worthy of worship. Sorry. And to be pushed back by the name of God and worship. I want that. Too many times I'm on the edge or I'm in the middle of the lake and I'm just griping. Why didn't you show up? I said you should be. Don't you understand that this, this is my life? This is my stuff? You need to be at my doorstep when I ask you to be at my doorstep. How dare you go off and seemingly not be in, in the entire time in another passage. It's this idea that even in there that Jesus is watching them the entire time. He's on the hill and they don't even think that he's watching. But he's up there praying and he's looking over and he's waiting for the exact time to walk over and to show them that he is the great I am in their feet. Great I am. I hope you know him. That's my prayer. This morning, Tim's going to come up and we're just going to, he's going to play over us. And several of the songs we've talked about today say, kneel down, be before him. We've seen this this morning that the response of these people was that they knelt down before him, come to the altar is what we're going to, he's going to play over us. And so, hey, we have this thing here that's the altar. So you are free. There's no judgment. This is your place to come to the altar and to just say, hey, you're the great I am. I am not. You are the great I am. Be you. Or if you just you don't, you don't feel comfortable with that, but you want to kneel, then turn around. Whatever. If you have bad knees, then whatever. This is a moment just for you to say, hey, listen, you are the great I am. And I want to worship you in this moment. Let's do it.